Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website. Have made a New Year's resolution. Beyond five of you. All right, cool. Um, any of you, have any of you, well, you may not want to do this. Have you failed in your New Year? A couple years ago, I made the New Year's resolution that I really wanted to get in shape. I wanted to start jogging. And usually when I get excited about this, what I do is I'll find a race in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin, which is close to Trisha's parents' lake house, and thought, oh, this will be great. It's on a Saturday because it was just as easy. Um, but I said, I'm going to do this. And I was really excited. So I talked to my wife and I said, do you want to do this with me? She says, sure, I'll train with you and we'll, we'll train for this race. And I was so enthusiastic in this half marathon with us. Well, um, as the training began, my zeal diminished with excuses left and right about why not to go and train. You know, it's cloudy out, you know, jogging while my toenails are too long. Well, anyways, the race approached and about a month before the race, uh, my wife was injured. And I wasn't happy that my wife was injured, but I was a little relieved (laughs) because... um, When you get married, biblically, the two become one flesh. And so, you know, if one runs, the other has to. But if one is at home on the couch in front of a warm fire, it's my obligation as a husband to do the same, right? Amen. My wife didn't buy that. But um, I'm just amazed at how I can be so zealous for something good and so be so weak on the follow through. Uh, it was just funny, driving out here, um, I was coming around the roundabouts, and I, I try to keep my pickup truck clean. I even have like a little trash bag in there now to keep it clean, but I'm driving, and as I'm going around the roundabouts, I, I notice on my dashboard, I have a Tupperware container, a plate, two packets of buffalo sauce from McDonald's, and a stack of magnets to return to Menards, and so every time I come up to a roundabout, I turn, I turn left, and, and everything shifts one way, and I turn right, and everything shifts back, and I turn again and everything's just back again and this happens you know through the 15 roundabouts on Lineville Road and I'm like oh I am such a mess it's just amazing at how poor I am at follow through at so many things Um, I'm thankful to find out that I'm not the only one there was a survey taken for those who made New Year's resolutions and what they found is that after one month um, 36% of people had already failed at their New Year's resolution. And after six months, it jumped up to 81%. Uh, on, the, on, on the radio, I don't know if you heard, they keep saying, you know, experts say, if you want to keep your New Year's resolution, make it something you can, you can keep, like make it something attainable. And so this year, my New Year's resolution is to not visit Madagascar. And <laughs> I think that is one that, you know, God's going to be funny about this, isn't he? He's going to like... <laughs> Something's going to happen. I got to go to Madagascar. 
You know, as I reflected on New Year's resolution this past week, what occurred to me is the same reason why people make New Year's resolutions, I think often is the same reason people don't make New Year's resolutions. And it's because we stink at the follow through. I mean, we get so zealous about, I really want to do this. I want to change my life. I want to do these good things. And we start out really high and doing well. But then when things get tough, it, it, our commitment fades away. Jesus has given to his apostles not a resolution, but a mission to go and tell the world the good news about Jesus. And like every good human endeavor, their zeal starts very high, but Jesus knows it's going to be tested. Jesus knows they will face discouragement, they will face persecution, and they will face hatred. And so in this passage, Jesus is preparing them for this difficult mission to encourage them to endure in their mission, knowing that he will be with them always to the very end. If you would open up to John chapter 15, uh, we'll be starting in verse 26 today. It's page 902 in the Red Bible and page 1072 in the Large Print Blue Bible and 1166 in the Children's Bible. Uh, We are continuing Jesus' farewell discourse to his disciples. Uh, Last week, if you were here, you may remember the passage just before what we're reading today. Jesus tells his apostles that as they go out and bear witness about, about him, that the world is going to hate them and to persecute them. And he says they will hate you and they will persecute you if you're faithful in your witness because they have hated and persecuted me, Jesus said. He says, they hated and persecuted me because they hated and do not know my father. And so when you take all of these factors together that that we are poor in our follow through, that that they will be hated, that they will be persecuted, and that, that Jesus has given them this great commission to go and make disciples of all nations, it seems like a plan that is destined to fail. And so Jesus, this morning gives his disciples, us and the apostles, great encouragement to endure in our mission because as they live life on mission, Jesus reminds them they do not live it alone. So we'll read John chapter 15, verse 26, and I'll read through 16, verse 4. Verse 26, Jesus says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father... The spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. You will, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. Let's pray. Lord, we come this morning confessing that we are a half-hearted people who often have great zeal to do what is right one day 
and the next discouraged and overwhelmed and distracted. Lord, we pray this morning that you would encourage us from your word in the mission you have given to us to proclaim your goodness throughout the world. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, a pattern that I've seen is that when people first become Christians, and I even see this in my own, my own story, they're very, very zealous to share Christ with others. They're high on zeal, but they're low on tact, right? And I remember this scene from my own life. I, you know, I came to know Jesus. I want to tell everybody I could. I told my training brothers. I told my family. And I probably offended almost all of them because I was high on zeal but low on tact. But what happens as, as a Christian continues in their life, what often happens is that we grow in tact, which is good. But sadly, the other thing is that we, we, we lag on zeal. So as tact goes up, zeal goes down, and then we become really lazy in the mission that God has called us to. Maybe you can resonate with that. You can remember loving Christ and sharing Christ so freely, but now it seems so hard to do. If that describes you, um, that struggle, Jesus' words are for you today. They are a reminder that we are not doomed by our own laziness or distractedness or fearfulness because we are not alone and there is one who goes with us. And so here, Jesus gives us two things. Jesus tells us that there is someone that will go with us and that there is something that will go with us to help us be fruitful and faithful in carrying out the mission that he has given to us. So the first thing, Jesus has given someone to us, to help us in our mission. Verse 26, Jesus says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And so the someone that Jesus gives to help us in our mission is his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Now, what we see in this passage, is in this verse, we actually learn a lot about the Holy Spirit. Obviously, it's not exhaustive, but it teaches us a lot about the Holy Spirit. For example, it tells us who the Holy Spirit is. In this passage, you'll see there are two titles given to the Holy Spirit. The first title in Greek is the word parakletos, which we've talked about before, and theologians just simply call the paraclete. But this word parakletos is a combination of two Greek words. The first part is para, which means alongside of. And the second part of the word is kletos, which means called. So literally, Jesus says the Holy Spirit is the one that is called alongside of you for the mission that you have been called to. Now, different translators have decided to translate this word parakletos in different ways. So in the NIV, they translate it helper. In the King James Version, they translate it comforter. And in the NIV, they translate it advocate. And what's so interesting is all of these things are true. The Holy Spirit comes alongside of us in all of these ways. Uh, to, to help illustrate this, think of another para. Not a, not a paraclete, but think of a paramedic. A paramedic is one who comes alongside of you in your weakness, and they come to help you when you feel helpless. A paramedic is one who comforts you when you are afraid, when you don't know what to do. A paramedic is one who is your advocate, 
They're the ones who, who race through town to get you to the hospital as fast as possible. You see, the Holy Spirit is our paraclete who is, who is our helper, our advocate, and our comforter in the midst of mission. The Holy Spirit helps us with what to say and how to say it and when to say it. The Holy Spirit is our comforter who, who heals us when the response we get is not what we hope for. And the Holy Spirit is our advocate who speaks alongside of us, which we'll study more in depth in a little bit. And so the first title given to the Holy Spirit here is the title Paraclete. The second title Jesus gives to the Holy Spirit, we see it the, uh, through a little further in this verse. Verse 26 again, he says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth. It's an interesting title given to the Holy Spirit. I don't think we, we use that a whole lot. Like, hey man, have you been blessed by the Spirit of truth today? But uh, this is a term that Jesus uses on several occasions. Just prior to this in John 14, 16, Jesus says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. And then after today's passage, uh, John 16, 12, 13, it's just right after it. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And so what does it mean? What does this title mean that, that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, is the Spirit of truth? Well, what Jesus is telling us is that in the world, there is a spirit of deception that is spreading lies that we're, we so easily believe, really about the most important, most fundamental things in life. Uh, spreads, spreads deception about who we are, about who God is, and about how, how we can be saved. You know, the, the spirit of deception concerning humanity tells us that we are all basically good people. Um, it, it ironically also tells us that we have no value because we came from goo. But it says we're all good people and that our good is basically better than our bad. We just have a few minor imperfections. But what does the spirit of truth tell us? The spirit of truth tells us through the word and through its internal testimony that we're not all that good, <laughs> that we are valuable, but that we're not all that good, that we're actually pretty messed up people, that we aren't just good people who sin sometimes, but we're actually sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure. And so there's a spirit of deception concerning who we are. There's also a spirit of deception concerning who God is. You know, in large, the world would say, you know, God is kind of this this. this thing in the sky, kind of like a big Santa Claus up there who's, who's distant, who's just jolly and happy, but kind of absent-minded and not really involved in the world, doesn't really care what you do as long as, you know, you're happy. But the spirit of truth says something far different. The spirit of truth says that God is not distant, but that God is near, that God has drawn near, that he is involved in the world, he is involved in your life. And God, because he is holy, because he is perfect, hates your sin. And because he is just, he must punish your sin. You see, the spirit of truth and spirit of deception are, say two very different things when it comes to who we are and who God is, but also says two very different things when it comes to salvation. You see, the spirit of deception, and this is really every religion but Christianity, but also just the general norm is that if your good outweighs your bad, you are going to be okay with God. Uh, have you ever heard that? Have you ever said that? I know I did 
while back? This is what the spirit of deception says. You know, just as long as you're a good person, as long as you're not Hitler, you're going to be okay. But what does the spirit of truth tell us? The spirit of truth tells us that in our own efforts, by our own works, we could never be good enough. Because God's, God's standard is perfection. And that, that our good works are like filthy rags because even our good works are tainted with sinful motivations. The spirit of truth tells us that if we want to be good with God, it's not by our righteousness, but by the righteousness of another. It's not by our sacrifice, but by the sacrifice of another. 1 Corinthians 1 puts it this way. It says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You see, the spirit of deception in the end, friends, says the cross is not necessary. You're not that bad of a person. It's going to be okay. But the spirit of truth says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through the Son. And God saves you not by what you've done, but by what God has done on your behalf. The spirit of truth tells us that Christ died on the cross, taking on all of our sin, all of our shame, from yesterday, today, and forevermore. He paid for it in full, and then rose on the third day to give us newness of life. That's what the spirit of truth tells us. And so Jesus tells us first, who is the Holy Spirit that he sends with us on mission? And he says that he is our paraclete, that he, he helps us, he advocates with us, he comforts us. But he is also the spirit of truth who shows us the reality of humanity, of divinity, and of how we come to know God. Secondly, Jesus tells us about the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit is. If you remember a few Months ago, when we were studying this passage, Jesus said, I will send to you another helper, meaning that there was a first helper. And the first helper was Jesus. Jesus was with his apostles, and so he taught them, he guided them, he directed them, he comforted them. But Jesus was going to be going away soon. And so Jesus said, I will send you another helper. And it's so interesting because one of the things that, that that Jesus, one of the contexts in which Jesus is communicating that he's going to send another helper is when he gives them their mission uh, to go and make disciples of all the nations. We see this in Matthew 28. Jesus says to the disciples, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And then he says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There's that promise again. And so it's almost as if Jesus says, hey, go take over the world, you 11 guys. I'm leaving. <laughs> it's like if someone said to their infant children, hey, build a playhouse. I'm going to Hawaii. See you later, right? It's, it's impossible for them to do. And so Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send you another helper, the Holy Spirit, my spirit, to come with you, the spirit of truth. And what we see throughout Scripture is that the Holy Spirit doesn't only come alongside of us and go before us, but actually dwells in us. 
In John 14, Jesus says, The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you. And then he says this, and will be in you. What, what, what an amazing concept that God of the universe would not only be around us and on us and before us, but that he actually tabernacles inside of us. Where is the Holy Spirit? that has come from heaven, the Holy Spirit is in us. It helps us from within and advocates from within and comforts from within as we fulfill the mission that God has given to us. Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, Jesus tells us he's the paraclete. He's the spirit of truth. Where is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is sent from heaven to be in us and with us and before us. And finally, Jesus tells us why the Holy Spirit. Why is the Holy Spirit given? What is the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our mission? Why do we need the Holy Spirit to fulfill our mission? What does the Spirit do? Verse 26, again, in the context of our mission to bear witness, Jesus says, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will, and then here it is, bear witness about me. Verse 27, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus has given his apostles an impossible mission. Really, like, hey, like, imagine if you're just with 10 of your friends and you're like, we're going to change the world, right? Like, what are they going to say? They're going to say, whatever, right? But Jesus says, I'm going to send the Spirit to work on my behalf. I'm going to send the Spirit to bear witness about me. And notice the order here. I think it's really important. Notice who bears witness first. It's not us. When we bear witness, we are not the first to bear witness, but the Spirit goes before us to bear witness. You see, all who receive the good news of Christ is because the Spirit has preceded us in in, in in tenderizing their heart and making them receivable to the good news of the gospel. And so it is the witness of the Holy Spirit that is at work. You know, man's inclination is, is, not, is not to believe the spirit of truth. It is to believe the spirit of deception. Man's inclination is to be hard-hearted towards God and towards the gospel. What we are called to go to bear witness, to, to have dead men and women come alive is impossible on our own strength. And so Jesus gives us this great encouragement that as we bear witness, the Spirit goes and bears witness before us. To bear witness without the Holy Spirit bearing witness is like a boat without a propeller. You can spin it all you want, but you're not going to go anywhere. But when our witness is intermingled, us and the Holy Spirit bearing witness to others about the good news of Christ, it makes dead men and women alive, lost people found, and condemned people saved. I don't know about you, but I find this so encouraging in this mission to go bear witness that I don't go alone, that the Spirit goes with me, that the Holy Spirit does the heavy lifting. Because this means I can go to 
the people that I think are furthest from God and share the good news of Christ with them because the Holy Spirit is the one who has to transform their hearts. And, and, it, and it takes away all of my, you know, my, my fear of, I'm not going to just say it just right. It's, I'm going to mess it up. It's going to be sloppy. I'm going to jumble my words. It's okay because the Spirit is bearing witness as well. The Spirit bears witness before us and with us to change the hearts of people. You know, when we first moved into this building, I had my own personal mission. I, there was no cross up front there, and I really wanted a cross to be in our sanctuary because we want to focus on Jesus, focus on the gospel. And so we measured the dimensions up there, and we're kind of like, okay, what size cross do we need? And we had it all figured out. And then what we discovered is the cross that was on the front of the building was the exact size that we needed. And we were short on time. And so what we ended up doing was taking that cross down and bringing it in here and then manufacturing some brackets so that we could attach it to the wall. And to be honest with you, this mission on myself is impossible. But God gave me brothers and sisters in Christ to help. You know, I, I didn't have the, the power to bring it down, the power to bring it through the door. It's heavy. I, I didn't have, you know, the, the knowledge of how to, how to solder brackets so that, so that it would mount to the wall. I didn't know any of these things. So I needed people to come alongside me to help me in this mission. Friends, when it comes to witnessing about Jesus, this, this task isn't only difficult. It is impossible on your own. But Jesus promises to send someone with us, to send God himself through the Holy Spirit to bear witness alongside of us. And so we should be encouraged, we should endure, because as we go on our mission to bear witness about Jesus, we do not go alone. His Spirit is with us. And so that is the someone that Jesus gives us for our mission. There's also a something that Jesus gives us for his mission. He gives us his word. Verse 1 of chapter 16, Jesus says, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Let's pause and kind of look at this verse a little bit. What are, what are all the things Jesus has said to them? Well, Jesus is talking about the farewell at address, and we know that by some verses later on. And if I were to summarize the farewell address, which is hard to do, I'd sum it basically with three major emphasis. Jesus is uh, first emphasis is to love, to love one another, and to love Jesus by obeying his commands. His second emphasis is to trust, to, to have hope, to believe. If you remember, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled because I'm going to prepare a place for you. And so Jesus is saying, hey, believe this, trust this, have faith in this, that I, I'm preparing for you a paradise for all eternity, that what you're going through now, the, the suffering is only temporary compared to the glory that is to come. And the third thing that Jesus is teaching in this farewell discourse is simply to endure. The world will hate you. The world will persecute you. You will meet resistance. But by the grace of the Holy Spirit, endure. And so Jesus is telling them these things. And he says in verse 1, again, he says, I have said all these things to you. Why? To keep you from falling away to keep them from falling away from their mission, to keep them from falling away from their love and devotion to Christ. Jesus has said all these things in preparation for his departure to keep them from falling away. Now Jesus goes on and tells them 
certain scenarios that would be particularly difficult and particularly tempting to push them away. Verse 2, he says, they will put you out of the synagogues. In that day, the synagogue was the center of of culture, of commerce, of all of those things. And so Jesus is saying, listen, you're going to be cut off from your friends. You're going to be cut off from your family. You're going to be cut off from your community. This is something that would tempt someone to fall away. And he goes on and he says, indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Could you imagine how confusing this is? Imagine yourself as one of the apostles. You grow up, you're Jewish, you're familiar with the Old Testament. You know the prophecies of the Old Testament. When Jesus comes, he fulfills all of those prophecies. And so you're convinced this is the Christ, the Savior of the world. And so you go to your spiritual mentors, the Jewish leaders, and you say, look at this. Look how Jesus has fulfilled all these things. Look how Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And their response is rejection and persecution and even murder. How confusing would it be to have your spiritual mentors reject Jesus? I know some of you have shared about, even in your own life, this has happened to you. People who have showed you what it means to be a Christian. People who have, who have showed you what it means to trust in Christ. They were so devoted, so wonderful, so great. And then they have abandoned the faith. And it's so confusing and devastating. And Jesus knows this is coming. It doesn't catch him off guard. And that's why he encourages us to remember what he says to keep us from falling. He continues and he says, verse 3, And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. What an amazing concept. These people that are professional religious people, priests, Pharisees, pastors, whatever you want to call them, who, who, are, who are paid to, to know God and to make him known, Jesus says, they don't know me and they don't know the Father. Verse 4 again, he says, but I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. This is our job. Our job is to remember what Christ has said. To remember that he said that they will persecute you, that they will hate you. To remember that he told us to love one another, to care for one another, to endure by the grace of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is preparing them for his departure. He's preparing them for when he won't be there to instruct them and comfort them and direct them. He's telling them that the mission is going to be hard, that they're going to be persecuted and rejected and hated. And he tells them these things not so that he can be a downer, but so that they will know what to expect and how to endure. This past week, I got an email promoting an article. Uh, The article is called, Five surprises every premarital counselor should cover. Uh, it intrigued me, so I looked at it. And, and here are the surprises, actually six surprises. I don't know why. Um, the first is the sin surprise. Your fiancé is way more sinful than you know. The second is the conflict surprise. 
uh, your communication skills drastically need to improve when you're married. The third surprise is the slow change surprise, that your spouse's spiritual transformation is not a light switch. The fourth is the physical romance surprise, that it will be unpredictable and it will be guided by your story. The fifth is the parent-in-law surprise, that when you get married, there needs to be a seismic shift in the parent's role in your life. And then the sixth one, he says, is the forgiveness is costly surprise, that we must absorb the cost of a spouse's sin and the pain of being sinned against doesn't go away quickly. And all the married people said, amen, right? And then he ends this article with this. It's, it's a big title. The title is at the end, kind of the last section is, Remove the Blinders, okay? He says, many young couples head into marriage with blinders, believing their marriage will be the fairy tale they dreamed of as they planned a Pinterest ceremony and momentous honeymoon. But the truth is marriage reveals our sin, exposes our desires, challenges our relational network, and requires us to regularly practice costly forgiveness. And he says, engaged folk need to know that marriage is a call to ministry where two sinners learn till death parts them how to apply the gospel of grace. You know, I'm convinced that one reason why divorce rates are so high in America is because no one ever comes alongside the engaged engaged couple and says, let me set your realistic expectations. That marriage is wonderful. I love being married, but it's hard. No one comes alongside and says, here are some of the issues that you're going to face. I was just talking with a couple today. One is very organized, one isn't organized. And they talk to that in pre-marriage counseling. How are they going to handle that when the difficulty comes that arises from that? You can probably relate if you're married. I'm sure one of you is one, one of you is the other. You see, Jesus in this passage is removing the blinders. <laughs> the, the, the apostles are in this fairy tale world. They think that Jesus is going to drive out the Romans, that he's going to be a king sitting on a throne, and that they will live happily ever after. And they'll be, you know, high-ranking officials in that kingdom. And so this is their, their fairy tale. But it doesn't go like that, does it? Jesus says, you may expect that, but let me tell you, you will suffer. You will be persecuted. Expect this to happen and endure Jesus gives them a way to to get through the suffering in order to endure in their mission. And so Jesus says, remember my word. Again, because he knows hardship is coming. He says, love love me, love one another. Trust that this world is not all that there is, but there is more to come. And endure by the grace of the Holy Spirit. Let me end with this. Winston Churchill is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, leaders of the 20th century. Probably his greatest feat was that he led Britain to victory in World War II against really insurmountable odds. And, uh, and there was a lot of suffering that came with, with World War II, as many of you are probably familiar with. But anyways, one time, uh, um, Winston Churchill was asked to come and speak at a commencement at Oxford University. And so Winston Churchill showed up in his normal garb. He had his top hat, he had a cigar, and he had his cane. 
And as they announced Winston Churchill to come forward and speak from the podium, uh, the the crowd, the students rose and they cheered and they applauded and, and shared their appreciation for him. As they sat down, Winston Churchill took off his top hat and set it on the podium. He took out his cigar, put it on the podium. And there was a long pause, and Winston Churchill looked out at the students, and he said, never give up. And then there was another long pause, and he looked at the students and said, never give up. And then there was another long pause, and Winston Churchill picked up his cigar, put on his hat, grabbed his cane, and walked off the stage. Preachers can probably learn a lot from that message, can't they? (laughs) Christian, have you given up? Have you given up on the mission that God has given to you? Maybe because you were discouraged because you don't get the responses that you want. Maybe you're discouraged because of the own sin and mess in your life. In this passage, Jesus is saying, don't give up. Don't ever give up because I have sent the Spirit to go with you. Endure, press on, and be faithful because I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that you would move us by your Spirit to be people of greater faithfulness of proclaiming your glory to the world around us, Lord. Whatever that might look like, God, that we may be beacons of light in a dark world, that others may know your grace and your love, that others may hear from the spirit of truth and be set free to worship and to enjoy you for all eternity. Lord, as we turn to the table, we are reminded that redemption doesn't come free that it is costly, that it comes with suffering and pain. Lord, we're so thankful that you did not shrink back from your mission, but that you came to endure hatred and rejection and persecution so that we could have acceptance with the Father for all eternity. Help us as we celebrate this supper together to look forward to the supper that awaits us in heaven. May it remind us that this life is but a vapor. We are here to be on mission. And our rest is to come in the promised land of heaven for all eternity. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.